Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. Hello, my name is Chris Sands, and I'd like to tell you the story of the men and women behind craft beverages that you drink and love. This week we're at 10th Ward Distilling Company with Monica Pierce and John Wilcox. Say hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies hello, and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. I, I didn't mean that literally. Like you'd say, like, hi, my name's John. So hi, people, my name is John. There you go. <laughs> Right, so this is the second time we've talked to you, Monica, yeah. but the first time that we've talked to you, John. So John is the new head distiller. Is that the proper title? Correct. Or distilling master, distillosaurus rex. Distillosaurus rex or just distiller is, is fine. All right. So why don't you tell, give us a little bit of your background first, because that's how we usually start out these uh, programs. Tell us, um, how did you get into distilling? What were you doing before you got into distilling? All that fun stuff. Uh, I'll try and keep it brief. It's been a couple of years uh, since I started this, uh, this career. Um, I was attending art school in Anchorage. Uh, and my professor, my mentor for my BFA program, uh, encouraged me to, to to have a, a, a job that would pay the bills while I'm working on uh, building a career in art, uh, which we all have to do, you know, to, to support our passions. Uh, so I got into alcohol because they kind of go hand in hand. Um, became a brewer, did my apprenticeship at Denali Brewing in 2009. Uh, spent a second summer at the brewery. And then in 2011, I graduated and uh, left for the lower 48 and traveled around the country for a little while and wound up in South Carolina, um, where a small start distillery uh, by the name of Dark Corner Distillery needed a brewer. I was a brewer, and so I came in uh, and became their brewer slash head distiller uh, and have been traveling around since then. Uh, so I've been, I've been in this industry for about eight years now. Um, the lower 48, is that what the rest of us are called yes. down here? You guys <laughs> are called the lower 48. <laughs> so did you grow up in Alaska? No, I'm, I'm a transplant like okay. most of the population up there. Um, but I would say it's probably the longest period of time I lived in one place. Um, and it's a place I call home. Uh, when I live in a place longer than that, that'll be my new home. Yeah, that's something I've actually been thinking about lately because I'm coming up to the point where I've lived in Maryland longer than I lived in Pittsburgh. Mm. Mm. So like, when I flip that, am I no longer from Pittsburgh? I mean, I guess I'm always from Pittsburgh then, but do I have to like completely switch my allegiance? Like, I don't. Yeah, you got to rock the Maryland flag. From from from's a weird a weird concept, right? Yeah. You know, if I was born in China, but an American citizen. I mean, am I from China? Mm. Am I Chinese? Well, I mean, I, I was born and grew up my entire life in Pittsburgh when I moved. Well, how long Maryland. have you been in Maryland? Like, now I'm doing math, and that's difficult. 18 years? You need to get some years. absinthe in you. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that helps you think. Is that an absinthe myth, or is that true? <laughs> I think it's just an alcohol thing. Oh, okay. Um, so what brought you to Maryland? Tenth Ward. Specifically to come work for Monica? Specifically come work for Monica. Mm -hmm. I came out here uh, in January to uh, take over operations. And uh, what, six months now? Oh, Five, wow. It's months. already been that long? Mm -hmm. Man. 
Because it was right around the beginning of the year, right? Yep. Yeah. And I get a lot of people that are like, how did you find that guy? (laughs) Just we posted online. I actually think John probably found us more than we found him because we had the posting up and Mm -hmm. did a couple of interviews, had a few other candidates, and he had an awesome resume. I was actually intimidated by his resume because we had only been open for a year and a half at the time. And I was like, he's not going to want to work for a small <laughs> operation. But it was, I don't know, you can probably speak more to this than I can, but something that John was looking for because he wanted something that he could grow and sort of cultivate, which has been perfect. I love startups. Yeah. When uh, you probably have a certain uh, higher level of freedom, too, in a, in a smaller place. Is that, is that uh, accurate? Of like yeah. What, experimentation-wise and... We're a little limited right now just because of our, our capacity, uh, which will change when the new still's up and running. And that'll allow us to, to experiment considerably more and uh, stay true to our mission statement, which is uh, to ward off ordinary. Uh, so I think that's, that's uh, gonna be a really exciting chapter in the history of 10th Ward um, as we are able to, to shift towards a larger capacity, we'll also have available time to, to play uh, which is something I'm very much so looking forward to. So you had said you you were going to school for art. Mm. Is this kind of your uh, your way of expressing the art your artistic side through the uh, sort the, of the, the spirits that you create? Sort of. I mean, craft is the new high art, right? You know, uh, the recession uh, what decade ago really had a major impact in, in visual art. Um, and it was something that we were all very concerned about, uh, those of us who were in the, the BFA program. Like, what do we do? Do we, do we go and get our master's in fine arts and teach for the rest of our lives? I mean, is that really the path that we're going to have to take? And uh, we saw a lot of people transitioning into craft. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in consumable craft, uh, kind of as a, uh, if you want to get really, uh, really weird with this, we can call it like a site-specific performance installation piece that's <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit ephemeral uh, but yeah it, it's uh, it's not a replacement for visual work I definitely would like to get back into that but uh, for now it's a good medium to to build craft um, and make art uh, that is consumable and temporary so you, you had uh Shortly ago, you said you mentioned you're kind of limited um, on production capacity, mm. kind of here. So, if you're watching right now, or even some of the noises that you're hearing, if you're only listening, you may have noticed that we're not exactly in our normal environment. We're not in the studio, we're not in the tap room where we will typically record in um, on location recordings. We're actually standing around a test still. And John is actively working while we're recording. So you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on right now? Uh, So we have an absence release on the 21st, which is next weekend. Um, And because our current stills are not capable of producing absinthe, uh, because there's an immersion element in them and we would burn all the herbs during production, uh, we are running our absinthe batches on the same test still that we developed the absinthe on, uh, which takes considerably longer uh, to produce the number of bottles that we need to produce, uh, or what we're estimating that we need for the release on the 21st. Um. In a few weeks, that will change. Mm. Uh, once we have the new guy up and running, we'll be able to do what? How many bottles in one run? Uh, you need the math on that. It's, uh, what, it's a thousand liters? You can do a, 
we do probably a, a half pallet per run. So what, 15 cases? Of 12 bottles. So does that just mean there's that much more love in this batch, though? Exactly. There's so much love. So in much this love yeah. of John yeah. every day monitoring our little test still to mm. make sure they are, there's absinthe for everybody. <laughs> and if you're not watching this by small test still, I mean, it, it, I guess small is probably kind of an understatement. No, I mean, it's 20 it liters. It's, it's small. Yeah. It can produce it's, around 10 bottles in a run. And how long does a typical run on this take? Six to eight. So there's a lot of love in those balls. So much love, yeah. <laughs> but he's also running the other still at the same time and sometimes mashing. And so we have lots of other production happenings all going on when John's here during the day. Today's <laughs> a fairly relaxed day. Uh, you taxes. had a good you time. Only, you only yeah. have to do two things at one time right Three now. Three things. Well, this is the fourth thing. Uh, okay, yeah, so we're doing, yeah, we're doing a podcast. This is a relaxed day. It's podcast, <laughs> taxes, absinthe, caraway. We just have to hope something doesn't start overflowing. (laughs) Nah, we'll be fine. I I have confidence. Yeah. You're definitely good at multitasking. That is... It's part of the job. So, I think um, let's take a real quick break to thank the sponsors that make the Uncapped Podcast possible. All right. And then I want to get into everything about Absinthe. Mm -hmm. Like, you can talk about how, how it's made the myths and misconceptions um so let's take a real quick break and we'll come back and you're gonna drop a whole bunch of absent knowledge on us all right some truth yeah a huge thank you to our presenting sponsor roast house pub which is located at 5700 urbana pike in frederick maryland if you have listened to this podcast before you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners chef nico creates simply put they're amazing but roast house pub has much more to offer Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check out their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. And thank you to our supporting sponsor, Craft Alliance Packaging Solutions. Craft Alliance Packaging Solutions has been serving the craft beverage industry since 2012 and prides itself in helping their customers excel in a constantly growing industry. From concept to cooler, CAPS offers solutions to your packaging needs, providing mobile bottling services, technical support, keg repair, rental bright tanks, and much more. It is their goal to help you grow your brand and your business and make your product stand out. Be different, look different. For more information, visit capsbottles.com. All right, John, so did you bring the love of absence to here, or Monica, was this something that you had been wanting to do? Kind of a mix of both. Um, Absinthe is super trendy right now, especially with cocktails. We really like to revive historical spirits. That's kind of a part of our mission, but to put a little modern, unconventional twist to it. I wanted to do an absinthe. I wanted something that John could put his name to when he started here, because up to date, he really has just been replicating our current recipes that we keep on the shelf. Um, John had previously released commercial absinthe, which is super exciting. And a lot of the distillers in Maryland are either self-taught or had never had any experience with absinthe. So when I spoke to most of them, they were all kind of like, well, we don't really feel like figuring out how to do it. And so that's when I said, hey, why not? Why not 10th Ward? It's weird enough. It's fun enough. John has the experience. Let's be, let's make Maryland's first absinthe. 
yeah, if, I guess if with all of the spirits out there that have stories or um, mythical story, like ideas around them, absinthe is probably the best one to use as a way to ward off ordinary. Exactly. Mm. I don't think there's any other spirit that has as many, especially misconceptions, as absinthe does. And that's been a lot of fun. Leading up to the release every Friday, we've been doing a little absinthe myth debunking session so we asked john a question questions like does it make me trip and uh we'll, we'll debunk the myth and explain where that came from so that's been fun so john will i trip when i try this if you dose it with acid okay did you <laughs> dose it with acid no okay so that's, we're good there it's not federally illegal yeah. <laughs> and um, if we did we would not tell you on camera right right <laughs> I may or may not be tripping right now. <laughs> the world will never know. We'll never know. We can all speculate. So what's an, what's another popular myth? Um, do you set it on fire? Which is something that John? happens. Go ahead. No, uh, I mean, you should never set spirits on fire anyway, right? That's, I mean, not only is that a liability uh, for the bar or for home consumption, but it's a, it's a health hazard as well, right? I caught my arm on fire once. That's yeah, dumb yeah. There's plenty of YouTube videos course. out there of, of <laughs> stupid college kids trying to be cool, setting stuff on fire. Yeah. Um, absinthe is a, is, a, is a water creature, not a fire creature, and, and needs to be given the, the sweet, sweet loving of, of H2O. Uh, fire is, is uh, its enemy, and you want but to stay far away. But if you're making a drink named Fla a Flaming Dr. Pepper, like you have to have flame. Mm, no, you should just drop out of college, uh, because if you're drinking that, clearly you're not meant for it. That's a good point. Okay. <laughs> so don't let your absinthe on fire. Mm. What's it? That's weird. I'd actually never heard that one. I didn't know that was a popular. It was popularized uh, with the, the advent of Czech uh, absinthe. Absinthe. And is that because it's a um, higher proof than most uh, other? Or just for some reason they decided to add this other weird element to it that will no. light it on fire? I can't speak for the Czech Republic. Uh, but I, I think not that. their representative? No. Uh, <laughs> But it was popularized during the 90s you know, by, by various subculture groups um, and a, a means to differentiate it from a traditional absinthe. I think that that's probably why they started setting their sugar cubes on fire uh, to create a caramelized effect or whatever. But their absinthe also weren't designed to be uh, diluted. They don't loosh when you add water to them. Um, they're, they fall under a category of Fawcynth or Czechsynth, uh, which is recognized as kind of an offshoot, but is not absinthe. Uh, it does not qualify to be absinthe. So, so is that just, are those words just like different types of absinthe? Then is that what that means? It doesn't qualify to be absinthe. Okay. So they're they're terms to 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 recognize those products, Czech synth or synth, but they're not absinthe. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And then it became popularized in bars in that area because they were setting them on fire as more of a novelty than anything. It's something fancy to look at. It's fun if you're out with your buddies. And that has sort of been replicated, I'd say, across the world in other places that serve absinthe. Even you go to New Orleans today, there are big absinthe bars that do it just for the flair of it. Yeah, for the pomp and circumstance mm -hmm. and the, add a little show to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, although that is not traditionally how it should be consumed. Mm -hmm. So um, what's another myth? 
Um, did Vincent Van Gogh cut his ear off from drinking absinthe? That's not true. No. No. No, Van Gogh was suffering from uh, severe epilepsy, which highlighted his already extreme depression. It's theorized that he had bipolar disorder. Uh, he was self-medicating with copious amounts of alcohol, not just absinthe. Uh, although he did have a known love for it, uh, he also was taking other substances that were easily accessible and technically illegal at the time, like opium. Um, and even up to his eventual suicide, no one ever ruled his madness uh, a, a, a cause of, or a result of absinthe consumption. That's a contemporary barstool myth that continues to perpetuate this idea that absinthe will drive you crazy or absinthe will make you hallucinate or absinthe will make you mutilate yourself for whatever reason. Um, it's and that was also that was also a result of a lot of propaganda that was created very similar to the marijuana propaganda here in the U.S. If you consume absinthe, you're going to go around murdering people and cutting your ear off and <laughs> all of that good stuff. And so there was a ban of it in Europe for a period of time, but it's really just a delicious spirit. It's high in proof, so that could be why people might feel like they're allergic to it. <laughs> now the. The story I had heard for the reason it being um, outlawed was based on like a marketing campaign done by wineries mm -hmm. because absinthe had become very popular during a drought, and one so the wine industry in France uh, wasn't able to produce as much. Uh, there was a shortage of wine. Absinthe became popular, so once wine was plentiful again they started this marketing campaign to vilify it is it was that an accurate yeah i mean story it, there were there were politicians who were deeply entrenched in the wine industry and never in the history of the world particularly not in our own country has ever there been a law written by a politician to benefit themselves financially right well that like i, I know in maryland specifically there aren't any politicians that have uh, fought for laws in Maryland in regards to breweries that benefit huh. them because they own wholesalers entities that yeah. will weird how that, that doesn't works, happen right? never happens in the state of Maryland <laughs> no no comment here so so, so the the politicians were on board with the yeah and, and they they got cozy with the uh, the temperance movement temperance was just as big in Europe as it was here in the United States uh, the push for banning alcohol consumption entirely uh, in the the name of saving the women and children. Uh, Always and, the women and children you want to and, save. And Jesus. <laughs> uh, women, children, and Jesus really were the three driving factors for, uh, for temperance in Europe as well as the United States. And uh, strangely, France uh, considered wine to be a cultural item and therefore should not be affected by their temperance laws that they were trying to apply. Um, but the temperance movement did a great amount of work to uh, cause the ban in 1912 in France. And it, it currently, is it still banned or does it is not banned at all? Oh, no, it's not banned at all. Uh, in fact, uh, in the European Union, they, uh, they just raised the parts per million uh, threshold for thujone, which is the active component of the Artemisia plant uh, to, from I think it's 15 parts per million to 30 parts per million, which is still an insignificant shift. Uh, people will claim that that somehow makes the European absinthe so much better, but I think that um, the people who say that are, are really under a placebo effect more than anything. 
and that's what would potentially poison you although there's absolutely no amount that we could put in that would poison you before you gave yourself alcohol poisoning from drinking too much absinthe you would you would die mm -hmm. from alcohol poisoning three times over before you saw the first wiggle in your vision and that wiggle in the vision is not hallucinogenic that's that's a, a neural inhibitor that will shut down your organs cause convulsions and death uh so a good time yeah super awesome good time <laughs> yeah now was um was absinthe ever specifically banned in the u.s or is that also a myth? During Prohibition? Well, but uh, everything was right. banned during Prohibition. But after Prohibition, absinthe really wasn't technically specifically banned. Uh, Thujone, the compound I was just talking about, was or is governed by the FDA. Uh, we can't have anything from the Artemisia plants in food, beverage, etc., cetera, um, unless we can prove that it's Thujone free, uh, which uh, equates to about 10 parts per million. And we're talking parts per million. It, again, this is an insignificant thing. Yeah. But it's so funny. I can't tell you how many customers think that they're right when they tell me that. And I kind of, at some point, give up arguing. No, it was illegal. No, there it had wormwood in it. And, and you're not making real absinthe if, unless you're putting wormwood in it. And I get a lot of those really funny rumors that I try to correct. But after a while, when people are really insistent, because apparently they are the expert, I kind of yeah. let them go with it. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> what would you know? You just do it for a living. Right. <laughs> and we use, we use both types of wormwood that were traditionally used in absinthe recipes. This recipe is heavily borrowed from an 1871 recipe written by Henri Duply uh, in his enormous book on alcohol manufacturing. Uh, it, this is a traditional absinthe with the addition of a few extra things. Uh, so when people talk about, well, it has to have wormwood and you can't use wormwood, it's a joke because we, we are using wormwood and we're using the exact same amount of wormwood, both Artemisia absinthium as well as Artemisia pontica in our absinthe. It's uh, so funny. I get that. Is, are you making real absinthe? Is there <laughs> real wormwood in there? Yeah, you just got to correct them. And that's, I think that's the fun part about what we're doing is we do get to educate people along the way. It's kind of a barrier, but also a really great marketing and selling yeah. tool because you spend time talking with the customer mm. about how you drink it, the history about it, the myths, the stories, and it can be a lot of fun. And this is the first time absinthe has been made in well, on a commercial scale. It's yeah. probably someone. I'm sure somebody is making it in their backyard, yeah. but at, <laughs> without at, the feds knowing. In a production facility, yeah. this is the first absinthe to be made in Maryland. As far as I know. Yes. Yep. As far as we know. Um, we have some here if you want to try some. We, we do want to try some. So I think um, why don't you first show. Um, everyone the beautiful bottle yeah so this is what we're calling our absinthe nouvelle um and we are using the word nouvelle to sort of describe the more modern addition to the spirit and john can probably talk a little bit about what exactly is traditionally in an absinthe what we added to it but before that i can show everybody how we prepare it actually if that yeah is I helpful because we can start luching it yeah so if you're watching um this is called luching yeah. And while everyone's watching, can you describe what luching is and tell us what's happening during this process? Sure. John? Um, so absinthe uh, has uh, a trio of plants called the Holy Trinity of absinthe, which is grand wormwood or Artemisia absinthium, for which absinthe is named, and then phenyl and aniseed. The phenyl and aniseed contain a, a compound called 
anethol, which is a, a licoricey sort of oil. Uh, and it's, it's found in a lot of plants, including Thai basil, etc. cetera, uh, but very high concentrations in both aniseed and fennel. During the distillation phase, uh, we are essentially marrying the anethol to the alcohol and pushing it out. So it binds to the alcohol, but alcohol is hydrophilic. So it wants to hang out with water more than it wants to hang out with oil. So when we're adding water to the absinthe, the alcohol kicks the anethol out because it would rather hang out with the water. Water and uh, oil aren't friends. And so the oil hangs in suspension kind of in this weird limbo space, uh, which creates a cloudy effect in the, uh, the liquid. Uh, and that's what's called a louche. Now at a higher proof, the alcohol or the oils become soluble by the high alcohol content. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you start to add water and bring it down, that's when you start to see this. And as you guys are watching this on the screen, you'll see that it'll start to turn from this beautiful clear green to sort of a cloudy, murky, lighter colored spirit. And then, I, um, and I guess it's just personal preference that sometimes you would have the fancy spoon and mm. put um, uh, sugar cubes on top and then that you would run the water through the sugar cube first? Right, I mean, uh, so going back to the, the height of absinthe in culture back in the late 1800s, uh, cafes in Paris, right? Uh, it was not always served using a fountain. This is a relatively fancy way of doing it. Uh, and it's, it's one of the things that are as uh, synonymous with, with absinthe preparation, absinthe consumption. But oftentimes you would be served with just a cold carafe of water uh, and always table side. You'd be served your measure of absinthe. You'd have your water in some form, carafe or fountain. Uh, and then there would be a dish with sugar and a dish with spoons. Uh, you were encouraged to prepare your absinthe to taste. So you could dilute it to taste, you could sweeten it to taste. Part of what made absinthe so uh, villainized during its, uh, during its, uh, during the campaign against absinthe was the fact that people were just hitting it hard and heavy. They weren't diluting it. And it's bottled typically at 70% by volume. It's a lot of alcohol. It's like taking shots of diluted Everclear uh, with mm -hmm. herbs. Uh, green Everclear. Green Everclear, <laughs> yeah. It would, it would uh, screw people up pretty hard and fast. And that was a problem. Uh, and we, we uh, absent producers in the United States will say the same thing. It is a, a matter of taste, a preference. Uh, I don't encourage people to drink absinthe neat. That's not what it's meant for. It's a social drink. It's, a, it's an aperitif. It's something that you hang out with, dilute, talk with one another while it's kind of doing its thing. Uh, but don't take shots of this stuff. Uh, what is an aperitif? Aperitif is a, it's a spirit, typically herbal spirit that you have before a meal. Uh, absinthe was popular during the green hour, which is around four o'clock in the afternoon. Is, uh, before your happy hour. Before your happy. <laughs> well, it was the happy hour in Paris. You mm -hmm. know, the green hour is where you would go and have your your absinthe. That's when you talked about the news and shared information with one another. Um, this is during the, the era of the Impressionists, so there's a lot of uh, talk about art and, and philosophy, poetry, uh, feeding into a couple of new movements of art that really, uh, I think, had, had a lot of inspiration from people who were consuming absinthe. 
maybe a little too heavily. So does the um, is there a difference between it dripping in slowly as a pour, as opposed to just pouring water in? Uh, yeah, or I mean, is it more of part of the the show of drinking? It's part of the show for sure. Yeah, when you're using a fountain, but it's also uh, a constant impact in the liquid, which I think helps force some of that separation to happen. Uh, but you'll get the same level of, of dilution and, and luching if you just add cold water to it. So if you're so at, you can kind of see the so difference you, in color um, here. If you if someone comes buys a bottle of it, they're going to be able to have the same taste experience at home without having to purchase a fountain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. I mean, like when I go home, I don't have a fountain at home. I'm I'm not that fancy. Uh, what I do <laughs> you is strike like, me as being very fancy. Though. Do I, I? I I do. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm gonna add that as my my new middle name, <laughs> John Fancy Wilcox. Uh, no, it's uh, at home. I do a, a glass, and I add ice. And then I add my measure of absinthe, and then I forget about it for 30 minutes while the ice melts. And then if it's not diluted to the level I wish to be diluted, I'll add a little bit more water to it. And it does exactly the same thing. Just takes a little bit longer to get to that point. Okay. Um, all right, so we each have our uh, Glencairn full of absinthe. Cheers. Cheers. Can you take us through the proper tasting of absinthe? Uh, well, the proper tasting of absinthe begins with uh, a social setting. Absinthe is a social drink. Uh, as much as I enjoy drinking it alone, it, uh, it really is designed for drinking in a social setting. Um, so make sure you're with friends when you're drinking it so you can enjoy it together. Uh, absinthe, I think this counts. This counts, yeah. yeah. So we're doing it step right. One step is one is covered. correct, yes. Uh, step two is... Um, making sure that it's diluted and sweetened to taste. So we've got uh, our luge. So got the, and this is the this is the color that you want to look for or just keep you want it, you it want until... it to be cloudy. Okay. Uh, you want it to be opaque so that you can't really see through it. Uh, if it's uh, maybe over diluted, it can become a bit see-through or if the concentration of anethol is not very strong, the luge may be a little weak. Uh, and that has a lot to do with the quality of the herbs that are being used or the quantity of herbs that are used in the uh, primary digestion. Um, so that's step step two, right? Okay. Uh, and diluting and nose. sweetening to flavor, right? So in mm -hmm. the nose, and the next thing you'd be looking for is kind of the herbal presence. you would be looking for hints of um, small wormwood, which is kind of meadowy, kind of grassy. Um, you'll get hints of the anethol, so you'll get those kind of seedy uh, phenyl anise aromas, kind of like ouzo, sort of. Ouzo's a different plant, but you'll get kind of that ouzo sort of backbone. Um, and then depending on some of the other herbs that are in there, the lemon balm or the, the hyssop, you're gonna get some maybe minty notes or some kind of a, an earthy, earthy lemon or a, 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 green, a green lemon sort of aromatic. And then in the very back, you may get some like of the, the, the Artemisia absinthium, which is kind of more of a bitter, bitter nose uh, in the back. I get a lot of black jelly bean. Black jelly bean is, uh, f is powered by anethol. Yeah. Uh, star anise is usually what uh, is used in food science to make that flavor. Although I'm not a huge black licorice person See, black or jelly black beans. jelly bean. Mm -hmm. I can drink absinthe though, I think, because it's a lot more herbal, because you're not, it's not like we're taking shots of Jägermeister well, either. It's very that, different. Um, 
the really harsh bite mm-hmm. that like black licorice or um, it's it's a much more smooth flavor in that arena. And you can tell with an absinthe that has used maybe too much star anise. Star anise has a larger concentration of anethol, and so sometimes it'll be used to uh, beef up the the louche quality, right? You want a certain level of density when the louche is forming so that you have something that's really beautifully thick. Uh, and then that kind of transitions into mouthfeel when you're tasting. Right. So mouthfeel is something you are especially thinking about when you're drinking absinthe, maybe not as much some other spirits, although that is definitely always something in consideration when you're tasting, but you want it to be buttery and creamy. Yeah, was and I, was, I went to help the glass up instead of the mic. Um, <laughs> it, it has um, a stronger mouthfeel than most spirits have. Like mm-hmm. a, it's more... It's kind of thicker a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah this that, is really good. Thank I'm, you. I'm glad that... Um, so I, I did get to come to the tasting that you had of the... It was five different versions. Mm-hmm. Five versions. And thankfully, I chose correctly for what I thought was my favorite. And um, you went, you said it was a mixture of two of them, but mm. heavily to the one I liked the most. So I, thankfully, I still really enjoy this. We were on the same page with that yeah. one, for sure. Uh, version five, I think. Yeah, right? five was yeah. my favorite. And did you um, explain what is in this batch specifically that we'll be releasing? I can't remember if we, we talked about no, that yet. No, yeah, no we haven't gotten the, there yet. No. Okay, but cool. We'll get that on, on the flavor. But uh, just to finish up on the mouthfeel, if you get a kind of a numbing sensation on some absence, uh, that's typically a sign that's the that first there's... first step to tripping? No, that's <laughs> typically a sign that there's been a large amount of star anise added to it. So star okay. anise actually has a couple other things in there that'll create a tingly or mouth numbing sensation. Um, so something to be looking for when you are tasting an absinthe uh, that kind of feeds into your flavor and mouthfeel so you have an idea of what they put in there. So it's not quite true to style for that level of, of star anise. Not mean that it's a bad thing to add to it, it's just uh, you want to be a bit more conservative with that particular herb. Yeah, like I, I don't think this needs sweetened at all. Mm-hmm. This is really good just like this. And I haven't had any of our absinthe with sugar yet, which is really funny because we maybe want to touch on this a little bit later, but in the future at our new location, we'll be serving at table side. So we will offer it in that traditional setting with your bowl of spoons and sugar cubes and people can sweeten to taste, but I've never really felt like I needed to. Yeah. I can't remember. Did you, during the tastings, was there sugar at all? Or was mm-hmm. it, no, it was just, okay. And that's because that's we didn't want the sweetness to mask yeah, any to of the botanicals the, in the spirit. We wanted yeah. everybody to have an even base when they were tasting. Um, and that was a lot of fun. We had a little over, how many people came through? 400 people oh, came wow. through that weekend in and out. 10 people at a time for a period of like from Friday to Monday tasting and giving us feedback and a good friend of mine offered to sit down and hand enter all the data in for us yeah (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. michelle from one blue night i'm sure you've met her she sings around town anyway john wants to talk about um, the tasting um, portion of this yeah yeah, give us the tasting notes what's in this version that that Ah. was the most popular um so this is uh, again the holy trinity of absinthe so artemisia absinthium from which it gets its name, uh, fennel, anise seed, and then we also have a little coriander seed in there, some chrysanthemum, uh, a little bit of mace, which is kind of unusual, bergamot peel, also slightly strange, and it's really light in this because I don't like 
the, the citrus to overwhelm it. Because typically with absinthe cocktails, you're going to have citrus added. You don't need it to be a citrus bomb. Um, what else is in there? Little, you put chamomile? Small, small dose of chamomile, which helps with a little bit of that butteriness in the background. Um, so you can also use it as a sleep aid. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. The more alcohol you drink, the sleepier you get. <laughs> um, we'll just say it's the chamomile, though. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the coloring phase is small wormwood, uh, which is the Artemisia pontica, hyssop, and lemon balm, uh, which is the minor trinity. It's in almost every absinthe fert. Uh, and because this is technically an absinthe fert screen, uh, those three have to be in there for it to be a vert. So is that a root that you use, or is it... What? The, um, hyssop? The wormwood, the what is? No, it's a it's a shrub. Okay. Like a little bush. I always envisioned it. I don't know why. And then dried, it looks like this. So this is this is absinthium. It looks like catnip. Yeah. <laughs> and feel free to try it. I mean, it's uh, it's super bitter. Uh, in fact, uh, in Revelations. Take a smell. There is a demon, uh, with the name wormwood. Uh, because uh, its job was to come down to poison all of our waters and make them bitter. So bitter you can't drink them. It's bitter. It's bitter. It's bitter. Uh, people um, believe that it had antimalarial properties. It was actually <laughs> popularized uh, by uh, soldiers in the French Legion. Uh, they used it to purify their water. They'd add it to well, their water. really bitter. Yeah. But like taste, hold on, let me get you some of the Pontica so that you can like taste the difference. <laughs> so while he's uh, doing that, let's talk about the other exciting things that you have going on right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, first, direct segue from the Absinthe release. It's your anniversary party. Yep, so we are two now. We've turned two. So it is our two-year anniversary party. We're going to have the Absinthe release. So you can come in, taste, buy a bottle. Um, we've got a couple of bands out here. We're going to have the Lost Keys, who are local, and Scribe, who is from Annapolis. We'll have some music. We're going to do cocktails in the parking lot. So we'll do some absinthe-based cocktails, which will be fun, maybe a Sazerac. And uh, we'll have some food. We'll be revealing our new labels, awesome. Yeah, which is really exciting. Um, and, and that'll just be a big day next Saturday on the 21st. So is that a whole a rebranding kind of across all? Not of them, necessarily rebranding because the logo is still saying the okay. staying the same. Our style is still saying the same. But there were a few things I wanted to tweak. Um, some of the older names of our spirits aren't quite resonating, so we're updating them to be a little more literal. Our okay. our seasonal liqueurs, rather than being named for their colors, are going to be named autumn liqueur, summertime liqueur, so that when we put it on a shelf in a liquor store and somebody sees it, they don't have to figure out what it is. Okay. Um, a few other things, the, the colors are going to stand out a little more so that you can figure out what something is from the back of the bar shelf, um, which I think is a huge challenge in a lot of spirits even to this day. You might be able to recognize, you know, Jack Daniels on the shelf, but otherwise it's hard to tell, is that a rye, is that a corn whiskey, whatever it might be. Um, and then we added a little more depth to the label. I wanted it to look like it's worth the money that you're spending on that so spirit the in the bottle. Yeah, <laughs> there's no hologram. Uh, no, but the map of the 10th Ward is in the background of oh, the label, cool. which is really cool. Um, we've also noticed because our bottle is 
this shape, a lot of bartenders will turn it to the side to fit it on the shelf with all of their other spirits. So having the name of the product NRX here on the side, at least if they're going to do that, my customers can recognize that it's a 10th Ward bottle on the shelf. So those are a few just updates that we wanted to make since we're listening to our customers and and getting some feedback. And so that'll be fun. And they look super cool because we're going to have what we are calling the weirdos on each label. So each label will have a um, kind of a literal, I guess, design and graphic of what that is, but it will be in the shape of a fun person. So people will get to see the reveal on the 21st. um, Who did the artwork? Uh, We actually ended up going with one of those crowdsourcing sites, 99designs, and we just posted it and a whole bunch of people drafted a ton of really cool designs. Actually, I was really sad having to reject the other ones because they were all super awesome. Um, But this one really stuck to the brand and the style and and all that good stuff. So that'll be revealed on the 21st. Awesome. Yeah. So what was in that bag? Ah, This is Artemisia Pontica. This is what's used during the, the coloring phase. It's you don't have cons- to eat this one. Oh, yeah, I would taste it. Yeah, I tasted it. It's, no. <laughs> it's actually quite lovely. So this gives the green color? Mm-hmm. That There's along no with... Uh, it's green. No, it's not. Yeah. I see color and that is not green. Yeah, it's, it's totally green. It's just... Uh, <laughs> Sharp. Yeah. That's that you need but to yeah, that. believe it or not, that turns this yep. green. The alcohol extracts a lot, too, of mm-hmm. what was already in there before. See, I don't get much taste from this one. Oh, yeah, this one uh, has that beautiful meadow flavor and smell, what I was talking about earlier when you're looking at the absinthe. Uh, I really, really love Pontica. It's, uh, I have a kind of a love affair with this stuff. I'd love to do a Pontica spirit, like mm. just Pontica. I had never uh, really been familiar with Pontica until I met John in the talks about it all the time won't shut up about no, it. no he loves pontica <laughs> it's beautiful all right so then the third exciting thing that you have going on is is our expansion so we are moving to a new location um part of the expansion actually was first the upgrade of our equipment so behind chris here is a brand new boiler a brand new still um with john coming in having experience in growing small distilleries he was really able to help us figure out how we want to scale so um, our production is going to more than quadruple Uh, we'll be able to start really wholesaling more in Maryland which was a struggle for us before because we couldn't really keep up even with retail out of the tasting room so that's super exciting and we have equipment that we can grow into as well it's all um, easily modified so we can add a second distiller on we can add larger tanks more stills that our boiler can capacitate so that's really exciting and when people come by on the 21st they can see the new setup uh, but we are also as a part of this growth um, out of space and so we have found a new location downtown on Patrick Street if you're familiar with what used to be Little's Furniture they're next to Rex's So um, they're a little under 7,000 square feet. We're moving from a 1,600 square foot space to about a 7,000 square foot space. We'll be keeping all of our production here and that will mostly be dedicated to barrel storage, uh, front of house because we'll be where all the foot traffic is, which is super exciting for us. Mm. And um, the second floor will have capacity for large events, which include weddings. So will you eliminate the tasting room here? Yeah. 
do everything yep. down. John wants to John wants to knock the wall down. Uh, we <laughs> spent a lot of time hanging that wall up, and it's got some beautiful windows in there. And so I think uh, for the purpose of if the space ever wanted to be usable again as a front of house, we had to keep it up. But it'll be used for plenty of dry storage and maybe his office. Who knows what you want to put over there? I'll move the office from the Hobbit Hole to yeah. This uh, one, yeah, John's room. current office is under the stairs where we keep him, <laughs> like Harry Potter. But we uh, will uh, retrofit this all for production. So new tanks will go in all behind me where the barrels currently are. Okay. The barrels will all move to the new space. And that is what we are actually calling the cocktail lab. Mm. So, awesome. yeah, mm. we want to, uh, while we're still very limited legally in what we can do, um, there's some things we're trying to figure out how to navigate in the best way. But the biggest challenge for distilleries right now are that a large majority of our customers that come in the door don't normally drink spirits straight. And so yeah. they drink it and it's a lot harsher on their palate. They don't understand how they can mix it. They might even just want to come in and sit down and have a drink and they can't do that. So someday, um, someday, someday. someday. But we still legally are able to pour cocktail samples as long as it's in the form of up to two ounces of spirit per person. A lot of distilleries in the state just never really got into that because of the large, large overhead associated with getting fruit and bartenders yeah. and mixers that are all going to go bad if you have a slow day and you planned on making all of these little five ounce teeny cocktails. Um, with the foot traffic that we're going to get on that street, uh, I think it's going to be worth it for us. Uh, to at least even experiment in yeah. the beginning and prepare for being able to hope that the law changes and offer multiple drinks to customers. Um, but for now, that's what that's what our plan and is. And when that happens, you're already there and ready to mm. go. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And well, our, and the, the health department licensing is another thing that wasn't really worth the time and the effort um, preparing your space for that because you're mixing with ice and fruit yeah. and all that stuff. So we're we're just kind of going for the whole shebang. So when do you anticipate that opening? Um, fall, the okay. fall, late fall, probably October is what I have in mind, but they always say double the amount of time yeah. and money. It's the, you know, you think it's going to take to do something. So we have to be realistic about it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, look at old mother. I think they were hoping to open in the spring and now it's looking like they originally it was almost like the very beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I feel for them. We got, it is a daily, I guess, challenge in our industry that there is always somebody that's going to tell you, you can't do something this way, yeah. or there's some sort of permit or restriction and everybody wants your money then to have to fix it. And it's a constant like struggle of trying to be creative, to work around it and trying to find the right person that knows how to do that because there aren't many people in this area that are experts in it. And so serious props to everybody in our industry in our positions and managing this type of stuff because there's probably weekly incidents where I just want to give up and go home in my bedroom and crawl into a hole and give up. But you just kind of got to keep taking it as it goes. And, you know, otherwise we would never be here if everybody was like, eh, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> so we've just learned to say, all right, I know you said no, but now let's think of all the other options that we've got. Yeah. How do we make this happen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, I want to congratulate you on all the exciting things you have going on right now. Thanks, Chris. I want to give one more last rundown of the details for the absinthe release in your party. Yeah, sure. So it is July 21st from 3 to 7 p.m. That's a Saturday. We'll be outside of the 10th Ward parking lot, so we're down on uh, 508 East Church Street. We'll have food, we'll have cocktails, we'll have live music. It's $3 to get in the door. Club members are free, so if you've considered joining our club, that might be a good day for that. 
and uh, and you get to try some absinthe and some other delicious drinks made by Tenth Ward. So um, one thing we do in every episode is ask for a ridiculous bad review that you've ever received online. <laughs> That's Have you received fun. any? Yeah. A good. There, it's been so rare lately. So. What was it? We have, oh, uh, can I share two? Yes, absolutely. Okay, because we only have two bad reviews and they're actually both really funny because they're not anything that I feel like we're in our control. <laughs> um, the first one is when we had our distillery cat Verbal who has actually been adopted by one of our neighbors, uh, was living here with us. He was wonderful. He was our mouse hunter. He was a great asset. And uh, he hopped up on the bar when one of our customers were in here doing a tasting. And we got a review that said, cat on the bar, ew one star or maybe two stars um so that one was a little rough because he was super friendly with everybody and almost everybody loved him um you're just drinking liquor when you're in here so it's not like he's he's doing much to to what you're consuming but that was the funny one and then the other one was somebody that said uh what did they say they were like make sure you go to 10th ward before you go to mcclintock because mcclintock's setup is a lot prettier and their space is a lot nicer looking because they have fancier equipment and so I think we got a two-star review because our equipment wasn't as fancy. <laughs> they were like, you'd be disappointed if you go to 10th Ward uh, after it, McClintock. It's clearly somebody who's never been to distilleries before. Yeah. It's probably <laughs> their first time touring distilleries. They are plenty of like, hole-in-the-wall distilleries in Scotland You know that may not look necessarily all that special but and we love mcclintock we lo- they yeah. do have a beautiful space mm-hmm. they host weddings there you know i love sending customers over that way we do totally different things and so it was just kind of a funny thing to read and laughed at it well, speaking of mcclintock <laughs> yeah the other way we end every episode is to do a shot of the hop infused whiskey uh-huh. that i made with them so this is a single malt 100 percent chocolate malt whiskey infused with um, vapor infused with Meridian and UK going hops. So everyone, thank you for watching and listening. Thank you Craft Alliance Packaging Services for your support and cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having us, Chris. We love the Uncapped podcast. Hmm. Oh, I get the, the malt. <laughs>